that, that song goes way back, but that's a good one. I love that song. Was that Brother Byers? Knutson's used to sing that. Which one did Brother Byers try to sing? And he got the going so fast he couldn't get stopped. Pardon? Oh, yeah, the God on the mountain. Okay. Hello. Uh, quit talking to my wife here. I am uh, I'm Phil Spencer. This is my wife, Yvette. He's already, I know he's already introduced us, but um, we are excited to be here. And uh, walked into this building here. I'm like, oh, my goodness. God has blessed this church. And he blesses a church because of the people in the church. I know that. So praise God for the people that are here. It's, uh, it's a blessing for us to be able to come across, uh, like he was describing, the beautiful territory between here and El Paso. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the beautiful yucca plants and uh, I don't know what you call them, bramble bushes or something out there. But, uh, and he's right. You said there are two gas stations. There's one. <laughs> There's, there's several more, but you better know where they are, and you better be gassed up if you're going to make the trip. But anyway, we're, we're again, we're very excited to be able to be here. We, um, we know where the buddy and um, Miss Hallie, they, um, they went to school with which one of our kids, uh, our youngest daughter. And uh, I think she was, was she ever at our house? Did they ever come up to the house or not? I think they came through as a group maybe and sang. But I'm going to tell you, you, you got a great uh, pastor and wife coming. You're, you're going to be blessed. We just love that couple, have known them all these years, on and off, little bits here and there. But when I heard they uh, had taken this church, I was very excited. Number one for them, number two now for you guys. And we just really uh, appreciate the church already. Your accommodations have been unbelievable, just a tremendous blessing. And I thank you so much for that. <clears throat> I, Brother, is this little clock right here? accurate it's I don't have to keep looking at my watch here do I okay um, so I have um, anybody here know what hypoglycemia is it's low blood sugar and if you're not careful your your sugars drop you get trembly you, you're you real sweaty you can't think straight and I can't think straight to start with but that makes it even worse and so um, for like 35 years, I have, right before I teach and right before I preach, I eat a big spoonful of uh, peanut butter and follow it up with a mint so that when I'd shake hands with the visitors, <laughs> they wouldn't smell the peanut butter too strongly. But um, so I'd be sitting in my office and um, church would be getting started and somebody would poke their head in and say, preacher, you coming? I'd say, yeah, I'll be there in a jiff. And uh, they would moan and groan. I'll come skipping in, I told him. I'll be there shortly. So anyway, so I've had my peanut butter. I've had my candy. <clears throat> and I'm getting, just about getting ready to go. We, I pastored up in South Dakota for 40 years. Anybody ever been to South Dakota? Two or three of you. In the wintertime? In the wintertime? On purpose. Oh, Minot. That's North Dakota. Military? Work-related? Yeah, well, they're pretty white up there right now. I like brown in December. I'll, I really like brown. But you guys know what a snowplow would be if I said snowplow? So a snowplow, it plows the snow. <clears throat> you probably plow sand off the streets or something here, but I love the story. And as long as I'm talking uh, South Dakota, I'll just tell a quick little story. So a dad tells his daughter, she's a little teenage girl, 
She's got a job at some daycare or something, and it's winter, and he's like, honey, if you get out of work and there's a, a bad snowstorm, a blizzard, uh, find, find a snowplow going by and jump in behind that. Follow the snowplow, and it'll, you'll, you'll get home safely that way. At least the road will be plowed. And sure enough, one day she came out of work, and it was a blizzard, and there were inches of snow on the ground, and there can be a lot of inches up there right now, I'm telling you. So she's like, oh, no, i got to find a snowplow. And sure enough, one went by, and she jumped in behind it. And she followed it quite a little ways. And after quite a while, the snowplow just pulls over. Driver gets out and goes back to the little teenage girl. Says, um, everything okay? She goes, yeah, my dad, he just told me if I ever get in trouble in a snowstorm, get behind, you know, a snowplow and, uh, and follow you. He goes, well, that's fine. You can follow me as long as you want, but I'm finished plowing Walmart now, and um, I, I, I've got to go to Penny's and plow Penny's, and then you can, you probably be safer just to head home. That was funny to me. Because I could just see that happening up there, back and forth and back and forth. You ever see anybody plow snow? That was hilarious to me. All right. Hey, listen, um, I did bring my Bible, and you guys got yours, I'm sure. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, if you had been in Sunday school, uh, both of my lesson and my message today is talking to those who are in captivity in, uh, in Babylon. I hope you're familiar with um, the children of Israel and being taken into captivity. And um, they had been living in such an ungodly way. And God had sent them so many prophets to teach them and to preach to them. You know, you need to, you need to set your idols aside. You need to come back wholeheartedly to me. They would not listen. They just listened to their false prophets kept their little idols that they would go to the temple, uh, but then they'd go home and pull their little idols out and worship the little idols in the, their homes. And, you know, God teaches us uh, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He doesn't want to be second place, third place, any other place but number one, because that's where our greatest blessings come from. Amen? So after many years of trying to get them to do right, they, uh, they finally... Um, realize God realized they're not they're not going to, to turn back to me and he sends down the Babylonians and they take them into captivity and they're now in Babylon so here's what you really need to understand I hope that if I can at least get this part into your hearts and minds for this chapter that the rest of the chapter will make more sense for you so now they're in Babylon and you can only imagine all the differences that are in a, a different country. <clears throat> Again, in Sunday school we talked about um, there's a different culture. There, and I'm going to tell you, moving from South Dakota to El Paso, Texas, is a different culture. Before you put anything in your mouth at any restaurant, you ask them, picante? Uh, or is this really hot? And, and, and if they go, oh, no, not hot at all. It's hot. Just no. No. Because they have leather tongues there. I mean, I'm not getting leather. They can eat that stuff. And why they think it's a flavor? Fire is not a flavor. It's a sensation. <laughs> and oh, the, the uh, cultural differences just from Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, uh, down to El Paso. And can you imagine, guys, going from Israel into a place like Babylon? 
You've got, a, you've got a, a different culture. You have a different language. And I have become very fluent in Spanish since I've moved down to El Paso. Uh, taco burrito. Um, pas more enchiladas. That's, that's my extent of my Spanish. But <clears throat> literally, can you imagine going into a different country and that's home? And I mean, thousands upon thousands of them have been slain. On the journey to Babylon, um, won't go into a whole lot of what they do to the slaves as they march them into Babylon, but they pretty much strip them naked, if not at least half naked, and many of the weak and the elderly, the sickly, die along the way. If you're not moving fast enough, they will they will just kill you and leave you on the, the roadside, and you can only imagine what it I really can't imagine. I just can't imagine what it must have been like to go into a foreign country like that. And here they are, and, and uh, they're, they're grieving over lost loved ones. They're, they're in this land. They know nothing. They're putting food in front of them they've never had before, talking to them in a language they don't know, probably having to communicate with gestures. Probably some knew the language that could, you know, communicate a little bit to them. But it's, it's horrible. It was, a, it was a place they did not want to be. But listen, it's where God wanted them to be. Is everybody still awake right now? It is where God wanted them to be. And uh, has anybody here ever been in a place in life that you did not want to be? Yeah. We just had one of our dearest couples in, in El Paso, uh, the Konechnys. Uh, Mike Konechny was from Poland. That's where you get a name like Konechny. But he developed uh, lung cancer a year and a half ago, cleared that up. And here just like a couple months ago, it reappeared in his brain. And here about four nights ago, he went home to be with the Lord. Now, he is in a, another country, but he loves his setting. But his wife is grieving in a, in a horrible way. Some of you may, I'm sure we've all experienced some of that to some degree. All of us have probably been in a place we just did not want to be in the worst way. I, I, I just wish God would change this setting for me. Why am I having to live in this place in my life? Why? And um, so here was a big problem. Uh, I told you God wanted them to be there. And so you're going to find out he was trying to get them to settle in. But they had false prophets that were there that were telling them, Hey, guys, don't worry. Don't drive these tent stakes in too, too tightly. Because not very long from now, we're going to be out of here. We're going back home. God's going to deliver us. And, and uh, just keep your hopes up for going back home to uh, Israel. And that kept them all stirred up. Their thoughts were all messed up. They couldn't stay focused on God where they were. And so Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem. And he's like, i got to clear these things up. i got to write these guys and let them know these guys are false prophets. They're keeping you unsettled and you're never going to be who and what God wants you to be in his letter here. He's going to tell them until you can accept where you are. And so he writes them this letter. So with that in mind, I want you to look in Jeremiah 29 and drop down to verse, um, start in verse 1. And uh, so... We, we got some setup verses here that, yeah, I'm sorry. We do this in El Paso as well. I just forget. Let's go ahead and stand. If you're able to stand, uh, it's fine. If you're not able, that's fine as well. 
So, notice in verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter. So, he's writing a letter to them that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that Jeconiah, uh, the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. Now he's telling you who the mailman is who's carrying the letter. <clears throat> By the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, that was a long way of saying, I sent this guy with a letter to tell you this. And we're just going to read into verse 4 and then we're going to pause for just a moment. Here he begins, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Now I'm going to pause there. There's a whole lot more to the letter. I'm going to use that as I get, read my points. We'll read the verses as we get going. But that's as far as I would like to take us for right now. Would you mind bowing together in prayer with me? And let's ask the Lord to bless in the, the message here today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, what a blessing to be able to be again in the house of the Lord and to be a part of the Word of God we humbly bow before you today and thank you for your goodness to us. But to be very honest, God, we have all been in places that we would have preferred not to be. And we really need you to help open our eyes of understanding. We pray the Holy Spirit of God would work in a mighty way. Speak to us today and help us, Lord. Maybe we're in a place right now in our lives where some may not really prefer to be where they are, but God help us to hear the word, listen to the Spirit, and I'm going to thank you for what you'll do, for we ask it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. And you can be seated. <clears throat> okay, so if you go back to verse 4 now with me, look at it, and notice that it says, let's read it again, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives. Notice the phrase, and I would, if you, if you have no problem underlining in your Bibles, some people are like, I don't want to mark in my Bible, that's fine. But if you don't have a problem with it, this phrase is worthy of it. God said, whom I have caused to be carried away. Whom I have caused to be carried away. And that's from Jerusalem unto Babylon, okay? So, cause them to be carried away and don't miss this, guys. This thing of being carried to a land that they didn't want to be taken to, you have to know and understand this was by God's design. God had his hand all over this. It was God's plan for them uh, to be where they were. Judah had been living in such disobedience to God. Their religion, they had a strong religion, but it was very hollow. Um, it, it, there was no substance to it. God was not the center of their, I'll use the air quotes, religion. Uh, it had no substance as far as true devotion to God. Their true devotion, remember I told you about those little idols they would pull out once they got back to their tents? They would set those little idol, idols up and they would. that's where their real heart was poured into. That's where real devotion was poured into these little false gods rocks and stone and wood and he goes through in numbers of other places and tells them guys <clears throat> you'll take the stock of a tree 
You'll, you'll use it for firewood to cook your food. You'll heat your house with it. Something as simple as wood, you'll take the same wood and carve out an idol and bow down to it and worship the very thing that so easily burns up in a fire. And they just couldn't get it in their heads. But that's how the devil gets into people's hearts and into their minds. Their true devotion was to their own selfish desires. And they were running and enjoying life, having it the way they wanted. Uh, if we can use, borrow a phrase earlier on in the Bible, every man was doing that which was right in their own eyes, pretty much. Now they put God up in the front. They would paste him on um, the walls, so to speak. They would make him their religion, but their real life was what went on inside their homes and what they would do out in, in fellowship with one with another. And God was tired of that. These were the people, again, they were bringing their idols into the very temple of God. Now, what would you think if uh, uh, your, your, your pastor walked in here one day and set a, uh, a big Buddha up here with his arms crossed? And, uh, and then every now and then he would preach the word of God, but then he turned to this uh, little idol, this huge idol over here, and would bow down to it and say, we also trust in you. And you're saying, oh, come on, that, don't be so absurd. I, I know, but this is what they were doing. They'd bring their idols into the temple of God. Um, these were the people who were taking their babies, guys, and were uh, you know, going up to their god Moloch with his arms outstretched and a big hollow gaping mouth and a fire built up inside this God and would lay their little babies down on those outstretched arms and as that little baby would roll and tumble, fall down into that big gaping mouth and into the fire, they would have loud drums and music playing to drown out the screams of their little baby while the moms and dads hopefully were not hearing the scream of their sacrificial baby. How do people get to that place in life, guys? How do you wander that far away from the true and the living God? So God knew that their disobedience required a very strong corrective hand. Does anybody here know what a whooping? Maybe you call them spankings if you're refined. But my dad knew what a whooping was. Dad was in the army. His army belt hung in the place I did not want to go to. And he would use that army belt or he would use a branch off the maple tree in the backyard. And my dad knew how to correct me. I knew what I should and should not be doing at the Spencer house. And God's teaching these folks what they should not have been doing. And they need to learn it. I mean, I've seen kids get spankings and laugh. I've seen kids get spankings and they run circles while mom holds a hand and she's chasing his kid around in circles and little kid's laughing at the mom. And he goes out in the backyard just to do it all over again. But God's not letting these guys run around circles. God is teaching these folks a lesson that they're going to get and they're going to understand and they're not going home soon. They are exactly where they have to be in this classroom, a 70-year classroom, till they can learn the lesson the right way and learn who the true and living God really is. So he knew it was going to require a corrective hand to, to bring them back into a right relationship with him. So get this, understand in verse 4, he caused them to be carried away. There's just this large looming word that hovers over these four verses, especially verse 4. 
And, and again, if you take notes in the side of your Bible or in, on a page somewhere, would you write the word providence beside verse 4 or on your notes somewhere? It's just so obvious. The providence of God was working strongly with these people. If you had to define providence, how would you define it? Would it sound a lot different from the word sovereign? Because God is sovereign, amen? But he's also very providential. I, I think one of the best ways for me, uh, the way I understood what the word providence means, let me give you a, a little definition. The providence of God is the act of God whereby he orchestrates life's events to bring about his divine purposes. How God orchestrates all of life's events to bring about his divine purposes. God may not cause every bad thing to happen that happens in our lives. Matter of fact, uh, Satan is at the root of all the, the evil that happens in this world. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen. But God does take my hard and difficult and negative circumstance and says, I'm going to adopt that circumstance and I'm going to turn it into something that gives me glory. And a, a phrase we hear of often and hear the song sung about it, what God does is for my good and for his glory. And for these people sitting down in Babylon with all the strange and odd things going on around them, death has loomed all around them. For them sitting there to say that, well, this is for my good and for his glory was not the first thought in their mind. Matter of fact, they were ready to get back to Jerusalem, break into their tents again to find their little idols and start worshiping, uh, worshiping them again. Well, don't you think that watching loved ones die along the way, the massacre that took place and being in a strange country for whatever length of time it has been up until this point was enough? Don't you think that was enough for them to learn their lesson? No, and God knew that. He wasn't about to turn them loose to go back home and live the way they used to live and do the things they used to do. The providence of God is at work in their lives. Guys, this was an act of love, of love on God's part. God was working a plan to bring about a, a right relationship with Him. He was getting them into a place where He could work a plan that would bring about His greatest blessings to them. I, I gave a title. I have two titles actually for this message, but... Probably the best one, I think, for this message is settling an unsettled heart. Because these people are totally unsettled. Another one that I think is just as fitting is that God is working a plan. And His plan was a 70-year plan. It wasn't a two-month plan. And for us, who knows the difficult circumstance we might be in at this time. It might take a length of time for me to really learn what God is trying to teach me, to carve me into an image that looks more like Him instead of like the rest of the world. So, it's an act of love on God's part. He was getting them into a place where He could work a plan that would bring about His greatest blessings to them. And He was going to use the aggression of the wicked Babylonian people to accomplish this. God providentially allowed these enemies to conquer and then to move the people of Judah into enemy territory. God let that happen. Now, guys, if God caused that, and if He caused them to be moved, do you really think that God would cause something that didn't have a good motive behind it? You know how people are today. Um, somebody does something to them, and they sit back and they say, 
their day's coming, buddy. You just wait. That's called vengeance. But God works a plan. He's not looking at us and saying, well, I'm going to get even with you guys one day. That's not God. And that's not what he was doing here. If he caused them to be moved, God had a good motive behind it. And whenever God causes something, it's always intended to eventually bring about, as I've said, good. And I've already quoted, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And you can rest assured, if God caused something, it's for the good of the ones that he has affected. Is everybody listening to me right now? I don't know where you are, you are in life, and I, and I barely know some of you now. So I, I don't know what you're going through in life or what you've been through. But if there's something at work in your life, and it's pretty difficult, and it's hard to, to live with, you just need to know God is working a plan. He's not absent in your life. He's very present and working out something that he has apparently allowed to happen in our lives. And like I've said, in each one of our lives tonight or today, we can look at things, well, like Rebecca Konechny, like the loss of a loved one, or some major unexpected change in a job, or a, maybe a medical diagnosis, or some other traumatic event that happens in our lives. You know, you can look at all those things and give it a name, like we have a tendency to do. We can say, you know, what a tragedy, or what an upheaval, or a disaster has happened to me, some catastrophe, or some devastating thing. And as humans, we like to use those words to describe how hard things are in our lives. But guys, in God's mind, this is His providence at work. And if you call what happened to you a tragedy, and then you just leave it there, that can tend to make you feel like, you know, I, I just been dealt a really bad hand or some real bad luck or a real tough, man, I've had a real tough break happen to me. Now, it might be tough, but God's got his hand all over that thing now. You need to know that. So when you see this with God, that, that, that God is in control, it, it makes us look through God's eyes and not just with man's eyes. And if you are just upset and frustrated or even broken I'm not I'm not trying to be harsh at all because we go some through some really hard and harsh and difficult times where we're heart our heart is broken and I understand that let's be reminded of some very basic principles when we get to that place first Thessalonians 5:18 are you ready in everything give thanks what does he say after that for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, it may not have been God's will for Satan to hurt you in the manner that we have been hurt at times, but Romans 8.28 is in the Bible for a reason. And God takes my negative circumstance, and like I said earlier, He'll adopt that circumstance and will work all things for my good and for His glory. Job, you know anybody else that was through anything more than what Job went through? You wouldn't be able to sit in the pew you're in right now if you had been Job in his day. So he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God help us to learn to be like that in our difficult times. And, and when God has brought me to a place or allowed me to be brought to a difficult place in my life, help me to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. God is, we love to say this little saying, God is good all the time. And then we'll say, and all the time, God is good. Do you say that in your trial? 
Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. Now, when you read verses 1 to 4, and I took my time with it, I'm not going to have you walk through that again, but if you remember, Jeremiah is writing a letter, explaining to them God caused them to be carried away. Um, when you read that, it becomes ex- extremely obvious that a divine and holy God is working a loving plan in each of our lives, even here today. His providence, guys, hear me, God's providence is always at work in your life. Well, man, I, life is tough for me. Or if you just knew where I work or what I have to, who I have to work with, or you could name your circumstance. And you could say, if you just knew that, you wouldn't be talking about the providence of God in my life. Well, friend, yes, we are. And yes, God is. And yes, God is working a plan in your life. And God is trying to settle an unsettled heart, if that's true, with you. His providence, loving divine favor is at work in your life. So sadly, these prophets have been telling these people that, hey, you know what? This removal from our homeland, it's going to be short-lived. Hold on, it all will be over shortly. Don't drive those tent stakes in too strong. Uh, we're all going to head back to Jerusalem pretty soon. This is just a little hiccup on the road. Little hiccup. No, sir. God's carving a work. And his design when he's finished with it is going to look like him. He's going to carve away what I have been and what I have made to look like me in this life. And he wants the image of Christ to shine through my life and to work in my life so that others can see Christ through me. And what this did when these false prophets were telling them, hey guys, won't be long now, we're out of here. You know what that did? Kept them all stirred up. And like, oh, okay, we'll be getting out of here pretty soon. Um, they're not even thinking God. They're not even allowing God to work that divine work and straighten their minds out. And they always lived in discontentment. That's the way it is with us. And if you let all these voices from the outside come into you and pound into your brain and try to make you think, uh, you know, this thought or that thought, uh, some even grudging against God, then you miss the whole point that a loving God was trying to love on you and trying to help you through a very difficult trial and circumstance and to use that to make you more like Him. Let me give you a Roman numeral 2. Look at verse 5 to 7. Follow along with me there. Verse 5. Here's what He tells them to do. Here's the rest of the letter or a part of the rest of it. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, he's not talking about of the Babylonians, just amongst yourselves, and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that, notice this, that you may be increased there and not diminished, as opposed to going back to Israel to increase. Um, Look in verse 7. This is a hard one for them. you'd You'd have to know the the turmoil between these two two countries. He says, And seek the peace of the city whether I have carried you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Boy, that's a mouthful. That's a whole lot of stuff in that letter that I think we need to take some note of. We could say that these people 
I've been saying it all morning, are in a place in life that just simply don't want to be. It's a place, would you agree, that they did not choose, like many places we've been. Uh, places in life, I didn't choose to be here. I don't want to be here. This is one of the worst places I've ever been in. And what God was telling them in these verses, get this, was to accept their change in life. Accept the new land. Accept this new language. Accept the fact that you've got to build a new house. Accept the fact that new families are going to be formed right here in Babylon. You know, some people want to be born in this country or that country so they can say, I was, okay, I was born in America. Well, they didn't, one of the last places, well, I'd just say the last place, they'd want their children to have to say, I was born in Babylon. That's one of the last places they'd want to say that from. So let me give you another word, and I've been using it already to write it in there beside verse 5 to 7, is the word acceptance. Boy, oh boy, if you kind of got a little groggy in here and your coffee's wearing off, you need to get that. Acceptance, that's a big one here. This is what Jeremiah, God leading him, is telling them, guys, you better learn how to accept where you are as God's place for you at this moment. Um, This is where I want you to raise your family. Get out there and till the ground up, plant a garden. Well, we don't want to eat fruit from here. We want fruit back down in Jerusalem. I want you to plant your gardens. And for years, I want you to learn how to eat the fruit of it here. I want you to pray for this place where you're at. They're like, pray for Babylon? Well, I've been praying. I've been praying God would destroy it. He wants them to look around and understand that this is the place where he's going to provide for them. Right here. This is your sweet spot. (laughs) And get this, guys. And and this is a big one. As as long as these people uh, lived in Jerusalem in their minds, they would never be content in Babylon in their hearts. Now think about that. If you're in a tough place, now there's nothing wrong with praying and saying, God, help me. Help me to get out of this place I'm at. Uh, Give me peace and grace while I'm here, but I sure would like to be over here in life if you'd allow that. There's nothing wrong with praying that way. But if you cannot accept where you are and you're always living with, get this one. Well, it didn't used to be like this. We, we used to do, and you'd name all the things that you used to do. We know that in churches, don't we? Well, church used to be like this, or our, our family used to be like this. Here's one. America used to be like this. Now, God's not saying accept the wickedness in America. But if you're always living in the past or what might be in the future, and you haven't learned how to accept that the spot you're standing on is the place where God has chosen to bless you in, you're always going to be discontented, uh, rotten attitude in the Christian life. Um, So many thoughts running through my mind about people in in churches that have, they just grew bitter. And life is never happy for them ever again because they just can't see God where they are, that the hand of God is working. Acceptance is a necessary choice that we make to allow God to take us to the next phase in our healing, the next phase of our understanding. I have to accept these things. Again, if we live in denial, God's plan will be at best 
hindered and our healing is just going to be prolonged. Can you imagine some woman in Babylon or husband, she saw him slain. Uh, and and, and she's, she's here in Babylon now and she's just, I'm not saying not grieving, you cannot help that. But she just can't accept that I, I'm here. I just can't accept this. And God all along wanted to bring strength and comfort into her life. But all she can do is live somewhere in her mind other than where God has allowed her to be right now. Somehow this undesirable heathen land was the exact classroom Israel needed to draw closer to God. That's where God had them to look more like Him. And I honestly believe if we will seek the Lord, He'll help us to accept this place in life, this circumstance in life that we don't want to be in. Uh, Look back to verse 6. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. It's like acceptance is the fertilizer that enables you to grow in your adverse circumstances. It's what God uses to help you to move on in this life. Now, read verse 7 with me again or follow along there in verse 7. And seek the peace of the city whether I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Honestly, guys, they don't want to pray for Babylon In any other way other than God, would you destroy these people? This wicked nation, bring your curse upon this nation. God says, nope, you better pray for this place because as this nation, this place has the blessing of God on it, that's where your peace is also going to come in. We're supposed to pray for America. We're supposed to pray for our leaders that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives. Do you pray for your presidents? Did you pray for President Trump? Did you pray for Joseph Biden? Did you pray for Kamala Harris? Do you ask God to bless them? <laughs> and, and we can go on and on, can't we? And there's, we were talking with some other guys here. There's things going on in this country I do not like that these people have brought into our country and allowing to happen. I get that. But I am commanded by God to pray for them. Pray for God's blessing on them. If they don't know the Lord, pray that they can come to know the Lord. Because in the peace of our country is where I can find peace as well. The peace of where you're standing in life, the difficulty of where you are, is going to bring the peace into your own life. Pray for that peace. Then let's wrap it up. Verse 10 to 14. Look in verse 10. Verse 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, that after, uh, are you kidding? Seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Jeremiah says that from Jerusalem. Does anybody have verse 11 already highlighted or underlined or have it memorized? Look what it says. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and ye shall uh, seek me and find me when ye shall search for me, get this, with all your heart. Search for me, not your little idols, with all your heart. 
and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn unto your, uh, I will turn away your captivity, and I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place which, whence I caused you to be carried away captive. You want to put another word in beside there, beside verse ten on down to fourteen? It's the word design. Design. So to these displaced Israelites, they had to be thinking uh, this was some kind of cruel miscalculation on God's part. God, really? You really think we were supposed to be here? But all they would be experiencing in Babylon was God's design to bring about God's peaceful promise to them. And it's obvious God has plans for turmoil and anguish to subside and to be replaced with plans that show He's been working all along to provide for you and to take care of you. That verse 11, I know the thoughts that I have of you, and they're thoughts of peace, not of evil. I have an expected end. I have a plan that's all set up when it's all said and done. You won't believe what our relationship is going to be like, God says. Our fellowship will be sweet. You will look more like me. People around you will see the light of God shining in your life. But it's going to take the time and the plan to completely work. Friend, you're very special and very dear to the heart of God. And I just want to remind you, God hasn't tossed you aside. God is far more interested in us being right with Him than He is in our comfort in life. And God's going to do whatever it takes for us to search for Him with all our hearts. God's willing to change our geography, our culture, our belongings to be able to carry out His perfect design in our life. So listen, God's thoughts of us here today are thoughts of peace, not of evil. No matter what Satan may have been whispering in your ears, and God is going to bring you to a peaceful place. But guys, it's going to be in His time, and it's going to be in His way. I loved one of the songs that was... I think Heartland used to sing it, and I've heard different groups sing this. But can I read you the words to close out here uh, this morning? It says, The Father has a plan, though it's hard to see it now. You feel you're walking all alone, but He is there, no doubt. When the storm around you rages and you're tossed to and fro, when you're faced with life's decisions, not sure which way to go, stand still and let God move. Uh, The next verse says, when the enemy surrounds you and the walls are closing in, when the tide is swiftly rising and you wonder where he's been, friend, there never was a moment that his arms weren't reaching out. You can rest assured and be secure. God is moving right now. So stand still and let God move.